We can't forget what happened to us as a society. Our kids are suffering, the kids and adults are suffering the, the repercussions of that. I think that there will be more of a focus on ensuring schools are providing all students with support and the resources that they need to achieve their educational goals. Um, and that might look very different based on the kids' needs. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast from Elevation Education that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. Welcome to our last episode of 2022. I am recording this introduction on December 13th. I'm sure many of us are ready for a well-deserved break. But before we get to that, we are concluding Season 9 of Highest Aspirations by reflecting on what has been a year full of learning on how to best serve our students. We'll also get into some predictions for 2023. But before we start this season finale, on behalf of all of us at Elevation, I want to thank everyone who participated in our live sessions during the 2022 Impact Virtual Conference. That happened last week. The level of engagement and interaction was inspiring to witness as our presenters really masterfully facilitated sessions covering some of the most important topics in multilingual education. So our sincere thanks and appreciation goes out to Andrea Honigsfeld, Dr. Sonia Soltero, Dr. Carol Selva, Heather Rubin, Jessica Lander, Adrian Mendoza, Dr. Shelley Jallo, Dr. Ayana Cooper, and Emily Francis. These are really, really busy people, you probably recognize some of their names, who took time away from their schedules to share their collective experience and passion with our community. We are grateful for them, uh, each and every one of them, and we are grateful for each and every participant who registered for sessions. If you missed Impact, you did miss some great sessions, but don't worry, all sessions were recorded and will be available on our EL community. Just go to elevationeducation.com and navigate to the resources section on the top right of the page. I promise you'll find something there that interests you and that will impact your work. Okay, on to this episode of Highest Aspirations. Always fun to do a season finale. And for this one, I got to bring in my colleague Sandra Medrano Arroyo to discuss some of our learnings from 2022, as well as some predictions and hopes for 2023. Sandra is in a really unique position to provide this information, given her background and her current work. She works with me here at Elevation Education, I'm very lucky that she does, as our dual language instructional content specialist, where she has spearheaded the creation of two new instructional practices specific to the needs of dual language programs. She has also brought her knowledge and expertise to various conferences over the course of this past year and prior years as well, with really impactful presentations at NABE and La Cosecha, among many others. In over 23 years of education, she has served the needs of emergent bilinguals and various subgroups in a number of roles, teacher, academic coordinator, school director, recruiter, instructional specialist, and program planner. Sandra has truly done it all. Prior to elevation, she served as the manager of multicultural education for the 11th largest school district in the United States, overseeing the ESOL program for over 34,000 students, including a two-way dual language program that served over 9,000 students. Since 2016, she has also served as a PD consultant for the National Association of Bilingual Education, otherwise known as NABE. And just as importantly, she is a wonderful, passionate, giving, caring, I could use so many adjectives here, colleague that I'm just so happy to showcase here on Highest Aspirations as we close out 2022. 
So we're going to talk about, as I said, some learnings from 2022. We talk a little bit about family engagement, post-pandemic. We talk about online professional learning. Um, and then we get into some predictions as well for 2023. So this is a bit of a unique episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Sandra is a wealth of knowledge. And with that, as always, I'm going to say thank you so much for listening to Highest Aspirations. We will be back in mid-January of 2023. Between now and then, check out our community at elevationeducation.com for many, many free resources. Sandra Medrano Arroyo, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. It's nice to see you again. Great to see you. It's always uh, wonderful to have some time to chat. Yeah, especially in this format. I feel like we we get to chat a lot uh, internally at Elevation and collaborate together. But this is a, I think this is a pretty special episode as we round out 2022. And I can't think of a better person to bring on to talk about some some learnings and predictions. Um, but before we do that, let me kind of set the stage a little bit. The last time you joined us on Highest Aspirations was the end of 2021. We talked about bridging the gap between policy and practice uh, and dual language programs, which was a really well-received episode, something that you um, obviously uh, are kind of an expert in and know a lot about and provide a lot of information for us. And as we come to the end of 2022, I wanted to bring you back and talk about some of the learnings we've experienced over the course of this year, which despite kind of having maybe gotten over the hump of the pandemic. It was a very interesting year for educators. Um, so what do we learn? What have we experienced over the course of the year? And how might that help inform policy and practice moving into 2023? So that's kind of the the topic of today. But uh, thinking a little bit about setting the stage and kind of what you've done this year, you've been doing a lot of work kind of behind the scenes, um, but, well, behind the scenes and in front of folks at conferences as well. So talk to us about some of the work that you've done over the course of this year, both in the field, at conferences, and in schools, and with Elevation um, in your development of our new professional development modules, which has been really exciting. That has that has really been exciting. I loved the fact that you um, prompted me to reflect on the year and think about all that um, we've accomplished. Uh, we started this year out mid-January or so. We launched 13 modules. And from the beginning, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of conversation, um, a lot of give me more, give me more, which was great. And uh, it motivated us to go right back and continue authoring and, and creating these professional learning modules. And so by the time our teachers came back to school around August or so, um, we had another eight modules. And we ended the year about three weeks ago, uh, releasing another six. And I'm very excited because we were actually able to add to our dual language professional um, learning module. So that was great. Um, teachers enjoyed the fact that they're based on our instructional practices. Mm -hmm. So it's something that they were already familiar with. Um, I think that the instructional cycle that we learned, we, we used really resonated with teachers. I think they enjoy watching that quick video, three minutes, um, let me hear, let me see, let give me that information. Why is this important? Right? And then they move into reviewing the data for their students, which oftentimes might be the very first time they're looking at that data. Right. Um, and there's a reflective question after each one of these activities. So that data piece is one that we really put a lot of mind to. Um, what are we asking them to look at? What are we presenting? What type of information? Because it's all their kids. And if we want them to truly impact student learning, then they really have to understand what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. So it's followed by an article 
which is also research-based and reflection questions. And then of course, the start of the, of the module is our instructional activities where teachers get to choose three instructional activities to actually um, embed in their lessons and use with our kids. So modules are adaptable. I think that's what really um, not only our teachers, but even our administrators enjoy because you spoke about this post-COVID world and, and we'll talk more about it later, but these modules provide that type of flexibility. You can do a part of it asynchronously, another part of it you can do together as a group in a faculty meeting. Mm -hmm. You've got the rigor, you've got the research. And so very popular, very exciting. We're already planning a catalog for next year. Um, so I can't wait to see how, yeah. how it continues to be received. Yeah, I'll let you continue in a second. I know you have more to say about the year and what you've done because it's not you haven't just done that. You've also been at some conferences as well, which we'll talk about. But I have to say, like just interrupt a little bit in my work. Um, I, I was able to to kind of author some case studies and go to some districts and see kind of how they were using them. And me as kind of a self-professed kind of professional development and digital learning kind of nerd. That's my whole thing having been you know a teacher for a long time and then coming here to Elevation, it's been really well received for the reasons that you um, have mentioned. And it's been really, really nice to hear from folks knowing that they can use these in a variety of different ways. They still have the structure they need, right? And the research-backed um, information they need to be able to make choices on their own, but those choices are informed, obviously, by uh, by a nice structured um, PDI experience or professional learning experience. Yeah. So you mentioned conferences. I know um, a lot of our Elevation team members have attended numerous conferences this year. Um, I was just so excited to have attended NABE in February and La Cosecha. It was almost like the beginning of my year and the end of my year ended with bilingual education. It began and ended with bilingual education. And that to me is always exciting. Um, NABE in February was especially exciting because it was the first face-to-face -face conference I had attended since February 2020. Right. right before our time stopped, you know, the world stopped around that time. Um, and then at La Cosecha, I was actually able to present, which was fantastic because I presented a lot of the activities that are embedded in our sociocultural competency module. And again, full house, it was funny because when I walked in, I thought um, it was right before, it was right after breakfast. And I looked around and there were lots of people sitting, but of course my room had tables, round tables and chairs. And I thought, I'm sure they're just here having breakfast. And so I announced, you know, we'll get ready to start in 10 minutes. This is the session if you'd like to stay. And they're like, no, 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 we're here for the session. I kept thinking, oh boy, it's already half full. That's great. <laughs> so it was wonderful to see so many people wanting to know and learn more about that topic. Um, it's, it's a good feeling. So, and the conferences have been a, a wonderful way to connect, to network. I think that they are so useful to us as educators, whether it's virtual or face-to-face. -face. Obviously, the face-to-face, -face, we all enjoy it. That energy, you don't uh, you don't usually get in a virtual conference, but it's important to have that opportunity to listen and hear things from different perspectives. Yeah. And the chat, although it's great, and we, we can show emotion and, and excitement in our chats, it's um, it's a little different when we can go to a face to face. So it's been exciting to go back out. Yeah, I, I and I heard great things about La Cosecha. I was not there. I heard great things about your presentation, both from folks here at Elevation and outside of Elevation. Um, and I was able to kind of witness impact last week. That was a virtual conference, but seeing the engagement there was great. But you're right; it's just not the same. I mean, I would have loved to have 
met some of those folks that were writing all these great comments. Um, but hopefully at some point we'll be able to do that. And that's something that we uh, have been doing doing a lot with lately. I mean, thinking about conferences and thinking about how we can um, relate more to the themes of those conferences and really get the most bang out of them that we can. And um, great to have you out there and be able to represent us in some of those conferences. La Cosa yeah, and more, more, more to come this year, hopefully. Um, hopefully. So, so kind of the framework of this, Nat, we had this idea last minute, so I should thank you like, publicly and let everybody know that this is something that came together really, really quickly because um, I just had this idea as we were putting together impact and I was talking to lots of folks in the field and trying to find guest speakers and thinking about the main topics people were interested in. I just thought well, it's a good time to reflect. Let's think about kind of, um, you know, what some major learnings were in 2022 and then make some predictions for 2023. And so let's get into that. Uh, so the way that we did this was I sent you some prompts and you sent me back some ideas. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of um, point out what you, the predictions that you've made in a very general way. And then I'm going to let you kind of talk more about them and maybe we'll discuss a little bit. So we'll go through three key learnings from 2022 and then we'll get into three predictions, maybe even hopes for 2023. Um, Perfect. So the first one you sent me, we've done a lot of work on over the years. I don't think we've cracked the code on it yet. And I don't think anyone has, but we're working toward it. Um, and that is family engagement and how it continues to evolve particularly post-pandemic, if we're considered post at this point. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so post-pandemic, it's interesting. You know, for so long, when we were all thrust into the, the, the virtual world and, and how do we continue that learning for our kids? And, you know, I, I used to have a lot of conversations with my uh, my colleagues as educators, we went into our kids' worlds as opposed to them coming into ours, right? They used to come to school, they'd come into our classroom and we kind of had everything under control. Now suddenly we were thrust into their world mm -hmm. where everyone's life was out of control during that time. You know, as much as we kept saying, this is gonna be okay. You know, after a couple of days, we were all like, wait a minute, this is not okay. <laughs> this is not okay, so, yeah, it sounds familiar. It's not okay. So we were thrust into their world, and I think it opened up a brand new door of what we call family engagement, more so family, perhaps, um, advocacy, mm -hmm. uh, empowerment. Families want more of a say in their kids' day-to-day -day education. You know, they had a glimpse of that for many months. They had a glimpse of... What did it look like in a science class? What did it look like when they were learning how to read? And it was not at all the way it would have looked in a classroom. But regardless, families saw that and realized that they should know more. And I think that that's a general consensus. You know, I think that and, and there's also a cultural aspect to that. You take your child to school and you have certain expectations, you know, as their their parent or guardian. The expectation is that. They're going to be safe. They're going to be taught, and um, and they're going to become contributors to a greater society. Um, and I think that families have have now changed. They've shifted their mindset a little bit about mm -hmm. wanting to be or play a a greater role in that learning community. Right. To boot, we were all communicating through Google Translate 
through all of these great apps that came out and literally just saved our lives, right, as educators, so that we could still communicate with parents and let them know what was going on. And I think that the expectation is that that should continue. So yeah. a, lot, a lot there about parental, I kind of mixed everything into one one big learning, but <laughs> there's just so many different parts to it. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think this is pretty general. Like we're not going to crack the code on all of these pieces, but I think you brought up some really key points. And I think maybe the the, the biggest point is, I, th- I heard you mention a few times, or I'll paraphrase, like parents and families were getting kind of a taste of what communication might look like um, and what it did look like in that kind of madness of the pandemic. And so what, much like much of the other learnings or opportunities that we have to learn from the pandemic, um, family engagement is one of those. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about uh, about technology and digital tools later, but that's one of them, right? All these things that, as you said, saved our lives and we were thrust, even teachers who were maybe really reticent to use technology now had to, so they learned how to use these things effectively. So what can they do for us now? How can they even be more powerful? Um, the, the other thing that you mentioned that I can't resist kind of bringing up because I think it's really an interesting point. And one that I actually haven't thought too much about is um, the idea that uh, the, the the teacher came into the student's world, right? As it, as, as opposed to vice versa, um, kind of levels a playing field a little bit, right? And brings a whole new perspective in that I think we should continue to think about, even though in, in most cases that's been reversed now. I agree. I think um, you know, there was a lot of debate. Do we keep the camera on? Do we keep the camera off? Is child engaged? How do I know if he's engaged? You know, we didn't stop for a minute long enough. We couldn't. I mean, during that time, we couldn't. That is the honest truth, right? But we needed to have stopped for a minute and and recognize the fact that everybody's home life is not going to be the same. Um, Parents struggled a lot with technology. Um, Again, we go back to those cultural differences. What do you mean you're learning through a computer? You know, and the fear of what else students could do on the computer because our kids are, and we'll talk about that, I know, digital natives. And so they maneuver their way around this digital world so much better than parents mm-hmm. do. So there's that fear there. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that we gave ourselves enough time to really think about the fact that home looks very different for everyone right. on any given day. Right. Yeah, messy. It's messy for sure. Not not homes physically, literally messy. Although mine sometimes is. I mean, just in general, the learning in a situation like that is very yeah. messy. I want to be careful what I say. Um, okay. So as much as I could talk about that for the next hour, I want to go on to the next learning. So that's one. So like, think about we'll think about family engagement, and there's lots of um, we've done a lot of episodes on that. There's a lot of resources in the community on that to look at as well in our EL community on our website. The next one that you mentioned. Um, and it's one that I'm familiar with because I've interviewed lots of folks uh, who have talked about this. Is you uh, you you talked about how over the course of 2022, linguistic repertoires have been more readily accepted. And as I said, we've talked about this in a few different places. We brought Dr. Jose Medina on for the second time this year. He talked a lot about that. What are the headlines here? Um, why is that the case? How, how, I mean, that's obviously a good thing. Definitely a good thing. Um... And then I started to wonder, is it because this is my world? And that's why I think it's a learning for me. But 
but I, and maybe not, because as I read um, the themes for conferences that are coming up in 2023, as I listen to, you know, these online webinars that uh, that when I have the opportunity to do so, more and more conversation is happening mm-hmm. around accepting and tapping into our kids' linguistic assets. I think more people are open to the idea of culture and language being one. You can't separate the two. And what can we learn about culture through language as well as what do we learn about language through culture? And in the world of dual language, which I was a part of for so long, that was always the case, right? We didn't think twice about it. It's even one of our pillars for dual language. Um, But I think that outside of dual, more and more so, educators are understanding that they we need to tap into the language our kids bring into the classroom so that we they have a better opportunity to demonstrate what they already know but they also have that yeah that that heads up on cementing that new language to what they bring and so i'm loving all of that conversation about truly taking what they know and literally running with it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Using it to our advantage as, as educators so that our kids, so that we see our kids as one whole child with all of these languages, all of these cultural impacts in our classroom, and we can move forward with their learning process there. It's great to hear you talk about that in a way, like, as you mentioned, this is your world, right? Dual language, and this is happening all the time there. And oftentimes, when we talk about this in the podcast or in other places, I, I worry that we're in an echo chamber and that everybody who's listening to this already does this and already knows this. But it seems like, I mean, is it fair to say that it's become a little bit, that it's kind of spread beyond that kind of center, that area to say content teachers who maybe at one point weren't really very well versed in this? And and if that is, if the answer to that question is yes, um, h- how has that happened? Has it just been an organic change over time? Has it been deliberate? Have there been particular people or organizations who have done a good job getting the word out in a way that makes these changes happen. I'm just curious about that from your perspective. You know, it's it's an interesting question. I wonder if part of how we received our learning during that pandemic time had something to do with it. Um, Because for example, Dr. Medina, who, who, does an incredible job of spreading his message on social media, particularly TikTok. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. We have other educators and researchers that perhaps were not open, had not, because we really didn't have the need before to do webinars, to go on podcasts, um, to get messages out through a different venue besides a face-to-face conference. And so I'm wondering if that had a lot to do with pushing this conversation forward and beginning to change those mindsets. It's it's interesting, interesting conversation we could have about this. <laughs> yeah, there there are certainly more platforms that people are leveraging more than they have before. Dr. Medina is a great example on TikTok and I'm I'm not personally on TikTok, but I've seen his videos that are seem to be everywhere and they're they're pretty engaging and short and also very powerful and passionate as he is. Um and obviously <laughs> based on research, right? So uh, when we start using, I think, those channels that are available to us, and perhaps the pandemic helped us to use those channels in a in a in a more effective way. Maybe that's a part of it. Um, I, I guess I don't see it as like a sea change yet, but I do see 
and I would be interested if, if you agree with that, but I do see it as something that is <clears throat> has it's a groundswell at this point. I think I think there's some momentum. I think so. I think I, I truly think so. I know a lot of research um, is uh, is being tapped into most recently um, that change in mindset, for example, in dual language. I know for, for so long, based on research, we had strict separation of language. Well, based on research, now that's not really the case anymore. Mm-hmm. There is a time and place where these two languages have to come together so our kids can truly see what similarities and differences um, exist within the two languages. And so it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Maybe this will become one of my predictions and expectations. But right now, I think <laughs> I'm going to keep it as a learning. <laughs> it's a learning for sure. I'm, I'm I'm definitely pressing you to for it to become a prediction, but it is definitely learning. Okay. So there's that. So we've talked about family engagement. We've talked about linguistic repertoires. Just, just scrape the surface of both of them. Let's scrape the surface in the last one. This one, I think because of my background and my sort of interests is the most, I, well, they're all exciting, but this one is really exciting for me. Um, it's digital learning and how it relates to 21st century skills, professional development, and more. So what have we learned? What? How, tell us more about that. So I can't speak for every district nationwide, obviously. But what I see and mm-hmm. hear more of, and if you read, you know, research, a lot of the journals and, and articles that we read, um, I thought the digital learning was going to stay. And I don't mean all day virtually, not at all. Mm-hmm. But I did think teachers would continue to tap into a lot of the technology tools that they were forced to learn during the pandemic. And I'm seeing with educator friends and families and and relationships with school districts, that that's not really the case. And I'm glad that everyone's enjoying going back to school, back to the face-to-face. But I sit here and I think, you know, our kids are digital natives. This is the world that they were truly born in. They are so used to communicating with someone on the other side of the world through their gaming systems. Um, When they're watching TikTok, which we just mentioned a little Mm -hmm. while ago, they've got the entire world at their fingertips and in a heartbeat, they will find what they're looking for um, and make sense of it. If they don't understand it, they'll continue to look for more information. And I think about what we're doing now in education. We've almost gone back to the way everything was without considering the fact that when we look at our work life, and that's what we're preparing our kids for, right? We do everything, for example, here at Elevation, it's all, it's basically almost all online collaboration. Mm-hmm. We brainstorm, we use our jam boards, we use our whiteboards, you know, be it what may, but we do everything online. We break away, we do our work, we'll come back. And I wonder sometimes how well are we preparing our kids to be able to do that if we don't continue to give them the experience that they need with these digital tools so that they could continue to work collaboratively because that turn and talk, you know, work with your partner, buddy, those are all great. And our kids need them, especially our multilingual learners, because that's where they have the opportunity to truly learn language, practice new language, tap into the language that they bring. But how well are we now at this point um, giving them the opportunity 
to truly continue to develop their 21st century skills. Mm-hmm. So that's the kids. The teachers that I see as a flip, com- com- it's completely the flip. <laughs> How so? Because I see that online teacher PD for a number of reasons, but I think that online teacher PD is here to stay. Um, we don't have enough time in our school calendars. We teachers certainly don't have enough time in their school day. Online PD affords that opportunity if you're on your commute home. Um, if you, you know, during your planning period, you want to listen to something while you're, I don't know, changing bulletin boards. Um, it's It's got this convenience factor to it. It's got this mm-hmm. flexibility where I can listen. And although it's passive learning, I'm hopefully picking up on uh, strategies and resources that I need, right? The key, though, is going to be how are we as administrators, uh, school and district administrators, how are we going to bring teachers together to reflect on those learnings? Because right. that's really where all of that, um, that's where it can, it can create that change. Right? We need teachers to have that time and that space to share their knowledge. We need them to um, encourage each other, help each other meet learning goals once they've listened or watched and I think that that coming together, that learning, um, that reflection is also going to help our teachers from burning out. Re- really interesting because, you know, it uh, the learning here may be that, or at least mine may be that, like, we need to find a balance, right? I think that it's interesting what you say about students that perhaps in some cases we're not leveraging or we're trying to go back to where we were before. And I understand that because people are exhausted and tired of virtual learning and students, I'm sure many feel the same way, but we also have to, as you say, we also have to be aware of the world that they're living in and aware of the world that we're living in. And you mentioned elevation and how we work. Um, I think that that sometimes is not always the case, right? Uh, that, that we don't, that we can look at students as, oh, they're on their phones all the time, or they're on their computers all the time, or they're on the device where they're not paying attention. If you look at most adults, for better or for worse, you're going to see a very similar situation, both professionally and personally. Um, so I think it comes from protection, right? The idea that we have to protect our kids and make sure that they're growing up sort of, and I'm using quotes here, the right way. Um, it's a delicate balance. Uh, and I love the way that you outlined that. So, so there's like dichotomy there that we need to be able to negotiate because as much as it is important to be able to learn online with teachers, you also mentioned that they need to come together in part. They don't They should come together in person to really, I mean, a lot of that's about, for lack of a better term, social, emotional, you know, even for teachers, health, right? To come together and collaborate with one another and be able to be colleagues and learn from one another. Same with students, I think, in a variety of different ways. So it sounds like you're almost like the learning here is what, how can we create an effective, I don't want to open up a new door here and a new sort of possible topic, but is this like a blended environment that we really need to be able to think about for both teachers and students? And how do we create that in this kind of post-pandemic world? That's interesting. That's that's an interesting idea, the blended learning. You know, years back when we, I was on a committee um, to try to solve an absenteeism issue that we were having at our district. And I, I even at that time, this was completely post, um, pre-pandemic, Um, But at that time, I remember thinking, you know, if kids had whatever responsibilities they had at home and had to take off of school that day to watch a sibling, why would we not be able to kind of just take, you know, I don't know, teleprompter, camera, video, 
computer, whatever we need at a school district. <laughs> and have that child at least be able to participate from afar, mm-hmm. right? which is what eventually became of our world in education for a long time. And I'm, and that's even that is still an option that schools might want to consider, you know, because the reality is our kids come to us with a lot of responsibilities. And so their learning kind of stops. Their absenteeism rates go up. I mean, there's just so many other repercussions that perhaps we can start nipping in the bud by thinking of using technology in different ways, yeah. be that blended or otherwise. Huge topic. Uh, one that we, again, just scraped the surface of. But I think that that is a key learning and important learning. And I think as we as as we close out 2022, you know, most schools uh, were back in session. And so this this maybe seems like, well, this is something we should have talked about in 2021 or 2020 even. But I think it's still important because I, I don't want us to lose the momentum of what we did learn and what we have been learning over the course of the pandemic and then go back completely to where we were. That's kind of one of my biggest fears. And that's why I think that learning and digital digital learning and how it relates to everything that we talked about um, is so crucial. So those are some learnings, right? Uh, let's get into some predictions, or maybe we could even categorize them as hopes as we think about 2023. This is the last episode of Highest Aspirations for season nine and the last one of 2022. So I wanted to t- talk a little bit about the future. Um, let's do this a little bit different. Let's freeform it a little bit. So you have three, um, and I'm going to let you kind of address them as they come up and just let us know what they are. And then I may kind of stop you and just ask you some questions, but what's the first? Because my first prediction slash hope <laughs> is a greater focus on equitable education. I love that. I love it too. The idea is exciting. Um, and I think that, you know, we touched upon linguistic repertoires and, and people being more open to tapping into all that our kids bring to our classrooms. And so equitable education, that, that's just a whole whole different world. But I'm thinking it, it might work exactly the same way in the sense that more people are being more vocal about it. More conversations are having, are being had about this topic. I think that, as you mentioned, we can't forget what happened to us as, as a society. Our kids are suffering, the kids and adults are suffering the the repercussions of that. Mm-hmm. I think that there will be more of a focus on ensuring schools are providing all students with support and the resources that they need to achieve their educational goals. Um, and that might look very different based on the kids' needs, right? And so when I think about our multilingual learners, I think that we need to do a better job, we as educators, need to do a better job disaggregating the data. Knowing how many ELLs you have in your school is important, but who are they really, right? How long have they been here? Where do they come from? Who did they travel with? Or how did they get here? Or who do they live with? We've got to be much more strategic when we look at that data and ask the right questions Mm -hmm. to start to notice if there's any common elements of need. And then we take that whole child approach, keeping in mind what the students need, um, and then work on that in groups. I mean, I think sometimes we try to work on the child and the child's needs and what can we give that child, looking at it as he might not be the only child in your school that has that issue. Yeah. 
um, and that has that need or would benefit from that resource, I think we'd get a whole lot more done um, a lot faster. I think that people are ready to look at children's needs even before the curriculum or standards, which again, what a prediction, right? What a hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we'd stop for a minute and say, you know what? Let's go back to our research that we all learned as educators way back when you've got to take care. You know, Maslow was right. You've got to take care of their basic needs. Right. And then then they'll open. Uh, I think um, I've heard yeah. Maslow before bloom more than I ever have in my entire life over the last <laughs> six, 12 months. <laughs> I think more of an emphasis is going to be made on representing our kids' culture and language within the classroom, within the school, um, which, you know, will have to change the way uh, we prepare our teachers and we create those teacher pipelines. So I think that all of these things, I mean, there are a lot of moving wheels here, but, <laughs> but I think that all of those things are slowly happening, which gives me some hope that we will have greater focus on equitable education for our multilingual learners and for all our students, really. Yeah. You know, and what's interesting is you started, uh, well, you, one of the first things you said about this topic was this act, not just knowing how many multilingual learners you have in your school, but actually using the data in a way that disaggregating in the way that makes sense in the way that's shareable and that it's actionable, et cetera. I think that's so, so important, obviously something that we try to do every day at Elevation, but I've really seen like not to add on to your prediction, but um, maybe a subtopic of this is going beyond compliance, right? Like in order to have a greater focus on equitable education, we can't just be checking boxes with monitoring forms or checking boxes with parent letters or fill in the blank checking boxes, right? It's got to be more deliberate. And I I do see that happening, um, which is great. And I love that we're kind of a small part of that you know, making that, making those jobs a little bit easier so folks can focus more on doing something with the data than collecting the data and checking off boxes. All right. So let's talk about checking off boxes since we're already on that topic of checking off boxes. (laughs) (laughs) Our kids came back to us um, after the pandemic with all of this unfinished learning. And as educators, you know, we we play the savior. We want to fix everybody. We want to fix everything. We want to do everything right for our kids. And so, of course, while they missed out on this learning, we've got to give them more. And I, I have a feeling that in many cases, whether it was enrichment or tutoring, we're going to see that if we didn't lay the groundwork early on, Um, we may not see the changes that we expected. Um, And that's, you know, it's sad because that was never, that's never anybody's intentions, but certainly not in education. But I think that we tend to do the same thing, expecting different results, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe justify it with, well, these are different kids. This is a different teacher. This is a different setting. Um. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what tutoring programs out there are truly going to excel and move our kids forward. Um, I was reading the uh, State of Student Learning 2022 that was published from Curriculum Associates, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And they talked about their iReady diagnostics. And of course, they saw the largest differences in grades one through three. And that's to be expected. These are the kids that did their kindergarten or first grade completely online. 
Right. Didn't know what a, a, a normal day at school was even like. Um, and, and there's a lot that we need to do to remedy all that time that they didn't get the education in the way that they should have gotten it. Right? But um, I think that if schools didn't focus on changing mindsets, on going back to that data, really pulling it apart and seeing what needs did the kids have aside from, oh, they're lower in math and make a general blanket statement. Well, where, you know, what is it that they're low in? What, uh, what do we really need to tackle and be much, be very strategic about that? Um, which of course then brings, brings a full circle to prioritizing PD for teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what results we get from tutoring programs and how soon our kids will truly close that gap. Yeah, that's something that, well, boy, I don't even know where to start on that. You, you did yeah. a good job summarizing it, but I think we leave it there. Like, what, like what, let's see where that goes. That's good, kind of a, I mean, it's obviously there's going to be interventions and programs put in place. What kind of academic gains are we going to see there? That remains to be seen. Um, interesting though about the study, the state, the state of student learning from Curriculum Associates. Um, no huge surprise, but looking at the data, um, obviously, gives us more to go on. Um, the the yeah, last the prediction, I guess. Well, maybe the prediction really is that those schools will see that those schools who really did something different for tutoring and looked at it as less of more of the same and more of let's do something different, Mm -hmm. you know, and strategic and be very intentional about it. I think those are the ones that we'll see the largest academic gains in. So there's the solid prediction right there. That's That's the one. Yeah. I agree. It took me a little while to get to it, but that's no, it's, but we had to, you had to paint the picture. Um, what about, so this last one that you have, and as we kind of get to the end here, uh, I, really like this one um about school communities and i i think w- before we sort of press record here you you were pondering whether this was a prediction or a hope i'd love to hear your your idea now about this one. i am so one of our very dear friends uh dr gottlieb wrote a book right after it was released right after the pandemic um with dr zakarian and dr calderon and it was called beyond the crisis and I swear they laughed because I, I was speaking to them and, and I said, you know, if I were a district administrator, I'd be walking my campus all day long with this book in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> it impacted me tremendously because the focus was that no one should be in the silo, right? Not your student and family, not your classroom, not your school um, community, not your local community. We should not be these independent silos that make up our community. Right. We need to get together. We need to. They have this great quote that I actually wrote down so I wouldn't forget it. And it says they're they mean in the student, family, classroom, schools, communities. They're part of a larger whole that is interrelated and interconnected and even interdependent mm. on each other. And that just blew me away. <laughs> I thought, why are we not seeing this um, more so? And I know that we have a lot of community schools in our country and they try to do that. And and for the most part, they've been doing great. But if you're an administrator and you're listening to this podcast, I highly encourage you to read that book. I think truly um, it truly sets the tone for changing 
the way we do things. Um, focusing on creating those partnerships and those strong bonds is how our multilingual learners are going to achieve success. I mean, I know that here in Palm Beach mm -hmm. County, we would even go to their churches mm -hmm. you know, and form partnerships with their churches because that's where they and their families are. Right. And so let's make that partnership stronger, but it not just be a place where I'm going to go and make sure that I'm, you know, I've got five minutes at the end of the service to let them know progress reports are coming out, you know, graduation rate. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's make this truly a partnership where each can give and take and contribute mm -hmm. to our multilingual learners' success. And I think that more and more so we're seeing that. And again, I don't want to say that it's because of the pandemic. However, <laughs> I think for a long time we had to depend on that. You know, we had to depend on where our internet providers, we had to depend on our libraries so that we could get our books online. I mean, for, right. during that time, we had to, as educators, learn to depend on others in the community to help us help our kids and their families. And so hopefully this continues. Yeah. And, and, and through that, the community organizations have learned how to collaborate better with schools. And typically, at least, in, and I've done some interviews on this this past year, uh, that has been a positive experience for those organizations as well, right? So as you said, it's interdependent, interwoven, or that's the line from the, from the book, the quote that you brought up, which I loved. Um, it's so true. Uh, and it just provides other touch points and other places where we get to see our students and their families um, in a different environment, one in which they may be more comfortable or less comfortable or whatever the case may be, but understanding who they are uh, as, as as whole people and whole families living together in a community and intertwined with everything else, I think is is uh, is is crucially important. And I see indications. I see that happening more frequently now as well, which is mm -hmm. which is kind of nice. So um, hopefully that prediction. Yeah, it's a win-win for everyone there. Yeah. One of the in fact, one of the first podcast episodes I ever did in High Aspirations, I remember, was actually about project-based learning. But uh Donna Neary was her name. You can get on the Yale community website and 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 Google uh, not Google. You can search on our website her name, Donna Neary. Um, and she just did such a wonderful job of explaining how that worked, particularly with newcomer students, um, was her focus. But uh, but these community partnerships really made huge changes on all sides. Um, so nice to see that. Um, okay, Sandra, so we're up against the clock a little bit. We have about four minutes. Um, I wanted to find out, this is a question I ask everybody, I asked you last time. Um, you already mentioned one book, I think Beyond Crises, right? Is that what it is? Um, I'm going to, you can certainly mention that one again or another one. I'd love to hear if there's a book or another resource that this year, since that's the theme here, kind of has influenced you either personally or professionally that you'd like to share with everybody. Yeah, I, you know, I, I always find myself tapping back into our guiding principles for dual language education. I always I had a feeling thought, you'd say that. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I probably said this the last time we were on the podcast. That's okay. Yeah. It means it's powerful. <laughs> it really is. I mean, and, and I don't oversee programs anymore. So now I, I really take that, that research section and apply it to the professional learning modules that I'm creating. And then of course, you know, that takes me down a rabbit hole of research, <laughs> which I absolutely love and enjoy. Um, but there's just so many great published books out there. I mean, I, I mentioned Gottlieb, um, Dr. Escamilla also, 
uh, Thomas and Collier are, are my, you know, I'll always go back to them. Uh, the Freemans. Um, and a lot of these people have been your guests, I know. Oh, um, Advancing Equity for Dual Language Education by Dr. Castro and Dr. Romero. Mm -hmm. So a lot of books come to mind. And, and as I've been authoring a lot of these professional learning modules or, or modules in general for our uh, multilingual learners, I find myself diving into their books more and more often. Great. So I typically ask a question at the end, how can people learn more about the work you're doing? You're at Elevation. Uh, we're all at Ele Both of us are at Elevation, obviously. I'm going to ask you the same question, but I'll kind of frame it a little differently. Like, where would you recommend folks go to learn more about the work that you're doing here or some of the topics that we talked about, um, et cetera? Yeah, I, I personally truly enjoy our <laughs> ELL community site. Um, for a lot of reasons. I think that the blogs that we have that have been authored not only by some of us here at Elevation, but by our advisors are truly insightful, um, provide a lot of information and research that we need as educators to be armed with. Um, so I, I think that definitely I'd send them first to our Yellow Community site. I would too, but I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you. It's a good site. And I love that when you do a search, you know, there it, it pops up and it's great. <laughs> I remember when we fixed that, it didn't always work, I will admit. But when we when we fixed it and I typed something in, I said, oh, my, it really works. And we had our impact conference last week and um, folks were really there. I always surprise me how many people don't know about it because um, it's all free and available. And it really the more time that goes by, the more resources we have and the easier it is to search. And so this particular episode will be also be accompanied by a blog post eventually, which is great because every episode that we do, we know that not everybody's going to listen to a podcast and that's fine, but then there's a blog post as well. Um, so there's a lot there. Uh, and then there's also a lot of the resources that you mentioned, Sandra. And um, we will be kind of going back to the beginning of this episode. Um, you know, we'll be back uh, kind of on the conference beat this year. Um you know, presenting and maybe you'll get to see one or both of us there and we'd love to see you, anybody who's listening to the podcast. So um, I guess this is the time to thank everybody for listening in 2022 and kind of helping our community grow and contributing. There's been so many great guests, including you, Sandra, who've come on and, and sh shared their knowledge. So I'm just grateful for you and everybody else who's joined us um, for season nine and season 10 starts in the middle of January. Can't wait to hear all of our advisors and our experts. Um, this year has been very successful. So congratulations to you and your team putting them together because we've got star lineup when you, when you look at the season. Think, wow, that, that's impressive. It is. I'm very grateful to everybody, um, yourself included. So, Sandra, I will at this point say thank you very much for joining us. We will talk very soon, I'm sure. And uh, what a great way to end the year. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.